Yeah, it is a lot of work, but boy, they enjoy it because they're singing about life. They're singing about truth, and they enjoy doing that. I hope you do as well. Ain't no grave going to hold his body down and therefore us as well. Praise God. That's what we're here to celebrate today, by the way. If you're new with us, let me welcome you. Thank you for being here with us. My name's Scott. Welcome to Impact Christian Church. Uh, we are all about loving God, loving people, and changing lives, or letting God change lives through us. And to do that, we've been going through the book of Mark together. Um, the book of Mark is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four books written by four wonderful people that tell the story of Jesus, of how he came to this world. You know, we celebrated at Christmas time how he came to a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and then lived his life and all that he did throughout his 33 years on this earth before he went back to heaven to prepare a place for us, which he's there now preparing a place. And he tells us in John 14, when it's ready, he will come to take us home to be with him. Because ain't no grave going to hold him down or any of us that are with him as well. So that's what we've been studying. We've been looking at the book of John, or I mean the book of Mark. There are 16 chapters. We've looked at them 16 weeks in a row, one week. So anyway, it's a four-month series we've been doing this. And today we come to the end of the book. Uh, last week, we looked at probably the hardest or most heavy story in all of the Bible. Mark 15 tells the story of what Jesus did when he suffered and died in a horrific way on a cruel and ugly and bloody Roman cross out of love for you and me and all the others. When he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was talking not only about the soldiers, the Pharisees, and all the others. He was talking about you and me as well. And so we celebrate... Uh, today, the end of the story, because that was a powerful point in the story, but it wasn't the end of the story. Praise God. As chapter 15 ended, we read that Joseph of Arimathea, formerly a secret follower of Jesus, bravely came to bury Jesus' body or ask permission if he could have Jesus' dead body and bury it or give it a proper burial. And this is an important detail, because you see, if Jesus had died on the Sabbath when Joseph was unavailable, unable to come as a devout Jew and as a Pharisee, if that had happened, then Jesus' body would have gone through something different. Jews would not have been allowed to have any uh, connection in that scenario. And Jesus' body would have probably been taken down by Romans. You know, as an executed man, he had lost all dignity in the eyes of all Romans, at least. And it was common in that scenario for Romans to leave a body on the cross to just literally rot. And then usually the remains would eventually be taken down and thrown into some kind of common open grave. So had the Romans taken Jesus' body down, no Jew would have been able to confirm his death. And opponents would have disputed his death, which of course opponents have tried to do ever since then. See, God had a plan. He had a plan down to the very last detail. I think this is so awesome. Today, in an effort to continue to deny the resurrection, um, which is what chapter 16 is all about, to deny the resurrection or to try to, some people say that Jesus didn't really die. Um, for example, they say that he only appeared to die. Muslims claim that Jesus only swooned on the cross and revived in the tomb and then fled to Arabia where he preached Islam for 40 years. That's their version of the story. Jesus' death, however, was confirmed not only by Joseph of Arimathea, but by a Roman centurion, by Pilate, 
by um, uh, the women who witnessed his death on the bur- of a- death and burial, by let's see, by John the Baptist, or no, no, I'm sorry, by John the Apostle, and by also the other religious leaders. All of these we talked about last week. His death really happened, and that's a very significant and important point to understand. He truly did endure physical death, complete and utter death on the cross. There's no denying that. You know, Lee Strobel, maybe you know that name, maybe you don't, but Lee Strobel, a Yale Law School graduate and and award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, was a spiritual skeptic until 1981, when his wife challenged him to use his investigative and researching mind to come up with better reasons, solid reasons to substantiate his doubt, his atheism. And so largely to get his wife off his back, Uh, she was a Christian at the time, to get her off his back and to gain more confidence in why he did not believe, he took up her challenge, and he decided to research. Not only research, but read thoroughly for the first time and then study and investigate the Bible. I mean, thoroughly. And after doing so, he not only became convinced that he had been wrong about all kinds of things, he became convinced that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. That Jesus was indeed the Son of God who had not only lived and died but rose again. And so Lee Strobel dedicated his whole life not only in surrender to God but to the, uh, to the service of Almighty God and to standing for Jesus when he had in the past stood against him. He went on to write several of the most powerful books uh, on the context or on the subject of apologetics or defending our faith. And uh, I would highly recommend them. Two of them that stand out at the top of his list are The Case for Christ and uh, also another one similar called The Case for Faith. And in his books, which again, I just cannot recommend enough, especially if you have questions or you're not sure. I don't know about this whole resurrection thing. I highly recommend his books. He goes into fascinating detail about the powerful and even logical reasons to believe in Jesus' resurrection. Now, it still takes faith. I mean, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So yes, it takes faith, but it's not just a blind faith. There is great reasons. Lee Strobel goes into things about forensics and science and history and medical reasons and all kinds of things like that. So I just want to encourage you to consider that. We don't have time to go into all of those things to prove to you or to to do my best to try to prove why it makes sense to believe in the resurrection, but I encourage you to read those books if you do have questions. You know, we left off last week with, again, the heaviest story in the whole Bible. Mark 15, Jesus is agonizing, torture, and death. But today, today we come to Mark 16, where we get to do a 180. We turn the page, and we get to see the best, most exciting, most amazing story, not only in the book of Mark, but in the whole Bible. And not only in the whole Bible, but in all of history. This is the climax of all human history, the most important event that has ever happened on our planet that we look at today. You know, Jesus gave his life. This is another important thing to understand. He gave his life. No one took it from him. God was in complete control from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of when Jesus came to this earth, to the little town in Bethlehem. From the very beginning, God was in charge, down to the last detail. Romans chapter 4 tells us that he was delivered over to death for our sins. Romans 8 tells us that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
And then Romans 8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel. This is the story that we're all about. And as we'll see in just a minute when we get to verse 6 in this last chapter of the book of Mark, an angel said to the women who were the first ones on the scene to find the empty tomb, the angel said to those ladies, the first ones there, he said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Yes, he was crucified. He was dead. But he is risen. He's not here. And this is the essence of the gospel. This is the, the key piece to our whole faith right here. Praise God, Jesus is alive. Can I get an amen out of that? He is alive. The main point of the chapter, the main point of the whole story, the main point in human history is right here what we're talking about today, the uh, essence of Mark chapter 16. You know, Christmas may very well be you know, how, how's it go? The most wonderful time of the year, right? We love Christmas time for good reason. It's a wonderful time. It's fun. Everybody enjoys Christmas when we celebrate uh, Jesus' birth on this earth and kind of mix in a lot of other stuff that's not necessarily bad. It's fine. Santa Claus and presents and Christmas trees, all that's fine. But we celebrate Christmas, the story of Christmas, because there is an Easter story. If there was not an Easter story, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem wouldn't really mean a whole lot. Everybody's born, whatever. Why would one stand out more important, as more important than all the rest? The only reason that Christmas matters is because Easter happened as well. When Jesus rose from the grave after dying on the cross for us. And we need to celebrate that and understand not only did he rise from the grave, but he's coming back someday. Is anybody excited about that? He is coming back someday. I look forward to that. And that's why Christmas matters. It's not about Santa Claus. It's about Christ. That's the essence of the word, right? Christmas. It's about Christ. The birth of Christ, you know, also highlights some differences between Christianity and other world religions. I don't know if you know this, but, you know, other religions offer us a various, uh, you know, lots of various ways to climb up to God. You know, we're here, God's up there, and other religions basically with works-based approaches help us figure out how we can get to God or the gods or whatever they might teach. You know, Buddhists, for example, strive to follow the four noble truths and the noble enlightened uh, eightfold path, that is. Muslims observe the five pillars of Islam. Hindus seek to advance through multiple reincarnations by practicing aesthetic rituals and good deeds. Even Jewish people work to maintain their faith or their their hope in the Lord by obeying their 613 laws but all of these are about us as humans climbing up to God whereas as Christians who celebrate Christmas we understand that God in contrast to requiring us to climb up to him he climbed down to us this is so beautiful Jesus's birth in a lowly stable in that little to those lowly people you know in that little town of Bethlehem all of that foreshadowed his ministry to come a ministry about loving the unlovable about touching people like that had leprosy about um, instigating relationships with Samaritans and Gentiles and and things like that you know listening to people who are lonely choosing to die for all of us eventually on a cross coming down to us rather than us having to come up to him. And that's what the first 15 chapters of Mark have all been about. 
And now we come to the grand finale. It's a short chapter. Chapter 16 is very short, but it's the exclamation point. It is the, the essence of all that really matters. And that's what we're looking at today. Today, So look at it with me. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark 16, or you can follow along on the screen or in your bulletin. But here we go. Verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll, roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Big, big question. That's a good question. You know, out of love and respect, these wonderful women went to the tomb or the cave to, to honor Jesus' body by anointing his dead body with spices. Now, of course, it would have been a lot better if they had gone to the tomb that morning anticipating finding the risen Savior. They didn't do that because nobody did that. Everybody in the world thought he was dead and thought he would stay dead. So I can't blame them for that, but that would have been even better. But what they sought to do was wonderful. I mean, it was very admirable. These women came to anoint his body and show him great honor, but they faced three overwhelming, huge obstacles. Obstacles before they could honor Jesus' body. One was, as they just stated, there would be this huge rock in the doorway of the tomb. It was going to be way too heavy for them to move. Second, according to the other gospel writers, there was an obstacle of at least one, probably eight, uh, Roman soldiers that were there by the order of Pilate, who would, of course, not let them in the tomb in fear that somebody you know, might do something inappropriate, like try to steal the body or whatever. And thirdly, another huge obstacle for them was the fact that just bluntly, at this point, three days later, Without modern things that we have today, Jesus' body would have begun to decompose. It would have been a pretty difficult situation in those ways. And so against these tall obstacles, I think, why didn't these women think, what are we doing? What can we possibly hope to attain? What can we accomplish with these huge obstacles in our way? It's a fair question. They I, I would have thought they would have asked themselves. And yet, based on love and gratitude, they were determined to do what they could, whether or not they had answers to how they were going to get past those obstacles or not. You know, the church, you and I, and, and the church's mission, which of course is to share the love, of truth, the love and truth of Jesus with as many people in the world as we can, we as the church face a lot of tall obstacles as well. Any one of them could seem insurmountable, right? I mean, we've got, we've got the human element like stubbornness, skepticism, and, and uh, selfishness. We've got things like disease and danger, and darkness. We've got loneliness and language barriers. We've even got internal church strife, corruption sometimes. So, what can a few mission-minded servant missionaries, if you will, such as those three ladies or you and I for that matter? What can any missionary-minded people really expect to accomplish today? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus talked about how some things, some things are impossible for man, for you and I. Some things truly are impossible. But he goes on to say in that same chapter, but with God, all things are possible. 
That's why Paul the Apostle said in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not about what he brings to the table, but about, but about what God can do through him. So all things are possible when we trust in God, when we're walking with Him. So like these solitary women on this quiet Sunday morning, we also, I believe we also need to be filled with love and gratitude toward Jesus to the point that we would courageously set out to do whatever He calls us to do. Whether or not we feel up to the task. Whether or not we can actually overcome the obstacles on our own. Simply trusting Him to move the obstacles today as He did that day. For them. He will make a way where there seems to be no way as long as we trust in His way. Look at what happened next. Verse 4. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I mean, not a, that's an understatement. This, this was an impossible task. It could not have been moved except with a whole bunch of people, not these three ladies. And that God had already done it. Matthew records in his gospel that there had actually been an earthquake. And that an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven, had rolled back the stone, um, a huge obstacle, and had actually sat on it. That's what had happened. The stone, here's another important detail. The stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out. Don't misunderstand this. It wasn't so that Jesus could get out. It was so that others, like these ladies, and others could come in and see that he had accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish, and that he wasn't in there anymore. He was already gone at this point. That's why the stone was rolled away. Friends, when, when problems hit you or I, and they appear to be too strong to handle, and maybe we feel like quitting, I think we need to remember that God, like he was in this moment with these ladies, was way out in front, accomplishing what needed to be accomplished before they even got to the tomb. It was already done. He does the same thing in your story, and in your life as well as mine. When you are so preoccupied by your obstacles that you don't even take time to pray, which is perhaps what happened with these ladies that day as well, who, yes, they went to honor Jesus' body, which was an admirable thing, but they still totally failed in that they failed to remember, like everybody else, they failed to remember or trust that Jesus said he was going to rise from the grave and that they, they failed to believe that that would really happen. And yet, even if you in the same way fail to have the right kind of perspective or to trust the Lord in ways like that, as these ladies failed, God can and will still move obstacles for you if you have faith in Him. This is who our God is. What He did that day, He still does today. He's still in the business of moving big stones. Amen? He's still in the business of moving big stones. Let me ask you, does a big stone stand in your way right now? Is there something in your life? Maybe you feel God's calling you down this or that path, and, and yet there's an obstacle. There's something that's just holding you back that you feel like, see, there's no way. I can't do it because of whatever the obstacle is. If that's your situation in some way, I think God's telling you, he wants to tell you, keep going. Keep trusting me. Keep walking with me. And in time, you will see that I am still in the business of moving immovable objects, as he was then. Verse 5, let's look at this. And entering the tomb, these ladies entered the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed, he says. 
We learn from John and from Matthew in their writing that this young man was actually an angel. Uh, in fact, there were actually two of them, according to the other Gospels. Mark's Gospel, by the way, this is another important detail, uh, about the resurrection. Mark's Gospel is the shortest of the four Gospels, in particular in this context, about the resurrection. He gives the least amount of detail. When he gets to the main point, he makes the main point, and then he wraps it up. He's done. Because the main point is what he really wants to focus on. It's really all that matters to him in that moment. Look at it with me. Verse 6, he says this. The angel said to the ladies, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So notice this. The angel wisely recognized that this whole situation was going to be a little hard for these ladies to wrap their mind around. Might even be a little bit scary. So he spoke very gently to them to comfort them and invite them in to come and look where Jesus' body was, had been laid. You know, I, I would guess, I don't know this, but I would guess that angel was holding back with all of his, all that he had within him because he probably wanted to do some kind of huge somersault or cartwheel or, or bring fire down or I don't know, something crazy because he was so excited because this was the greatest moment in the history of the world. But for their sake, he remained calm and he invited them to look around inside. In fact, Luke records that he said this to them. Mark left this out, but Luke says that the angel said to them, remember Ladies, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. Remember that. And all of a sudden they did. It hit them. And all of a sudden they recognized and remembered and, and it, 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 it hit them that, they, that th what, it, what was happening was what exactly Jesus had said was going to happen. And then they were filled with all kinds of mixed emotions. It overwhelmed them. I mean, ha have you ever been in a situation where even with good news, you were overwhelmed with like, I don't know how to respond to that. Maybe your knees got weak or something like that. It's probably what happened to these ladies in that moment. Well, the angel goes on to say this. Look at this. Here's how the chapter ends, verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. In verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment, kind of a mixture of emotions, had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that is how the book of Mark ends, right there, with, with, the, with the word fear. Or the, or they were afraid. You know, but that's kind of an interesting thought. I, I was thinking about this this week. You know, Proverbs chapter 9 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So while the book of Mark ends with the word fear, actually that's really cool because it's a great place to end because it also is a great place to begin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So anyway, the book ends with fear, but that's a beginning to great things to come. Now that's not actually the end of the story. It's just the end of Mark's account of the story, which shows us what happened immediately in that moment. These women, as we just read, were understandably very bewildered with a mix of emotions. They were astonished, he said, but also filled with fear and confusion. In fact, he says they ran away, not talking to anyone of anyone as they went. And, uh, you know, so as they left, they, they probably passed a, a variety of people, didn't talk to any of them. But eventually, the other gospel writers tell us that they did do exactly what the angel told them to do, which is go and tell the others, starting with the 11 remaining disciples, including Peter, 
And the good news then continued to spread and spread that Jesus was indeed alive, that he had done what he said he would do, which was die and three days later rise from the grave. And so that news began to just spread all around the world. You know, I love how the Lord helped us uh, with this series, put it together with our calendar so that all this would come together in this moment. As Christmas approaches, which, how many, let me see, how many people are excited about Christmas? Just a couple of weeks out. All right. as, as people are all excited about Christmas, as we all celebrate and look forward to a variety of things that are about to happen, I love how we come to the end of the book of Mark right here about the resurrection of Jesus. Because again, I hope you understand what I'm saying. There would be no Christmas if not for Easter. If Easter wasn't down the road, then Christmas would be just like whatever. I mean, we might celebrate Santa Claus, maybe, but there would be nothing special about it, nothing of eternal value to it, because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then the fact that he was born wouldn't really matter. But that's it. That's how the Gospel of Mark ends. You know, the other Gospels go into more detail about a number of things that happened next, which are awesome and worth reading, of course. But the main point is that Jesus was no longer dead, that he had risen from the grave just as he promised. And Mark emphasizes that and wraps it up, closes the book. He's done. Kind of like Forrest Gump, you know, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, he, there we go. Now, if you have your Bible and you're looking at it, you might, you might be going, wait a minute, Scott, what are you talking about? I see right here, yeah, there it is, there's 11 more verses. What do you mean it's over? It's not over, it's right there. Well, that's kind of a, I could go into a lot of detail, but the short version of that is simply this, that those 11 verses were not written, almost for sure, not written by, by Mark, and therefore not inspired by the Holy Spirit. If your Bible shows you, which some do, some don't, shows you those other remaining 11 verses, there's probably some kind of a disclaimer like this. This was what was in my Bible. I copy-pasted. It said, the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not include Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. So why did that, so why are they even there? Well, here's what probably happened. Most scholars would tell you, here's what probably happened. Peter uh, helped Mark write and inspire, uh, explain to him what was, what happened. Mark wrote it all down, finished with where we just finished. And then, in contrast to the way we get Bibles today, which are mass-produced in printing presses, you know, I mean, hundreds can be made in one day. In the early church days, when a Bible was made, it was hand uh, copied from one to another. In fact, I read an article this week that talked about how um, scribes who did that process generally would have to work, see, what was it, 14-hour um, uh, days, six days a week, and it would take them almost four years to do one. So obviously, a Bible became an incredibly priceless and rare, valuable thing. So, uh, in the process of writing one Bible to the next and slowly uh, proliferating God's message that way, before printing presses ever came along, um, scribes would do their best and, and all of that. Well, what probably happened was somewhere along the way, a scribe with the very best of intentions, he probably read Matthew's account and Luke's and John's and saw that there were other details and other interesting things there. He just decided to take it upon himself and add to Scripture um, a, a kind of a, con a conclusion, if you will. And nothing in the last 11 verses is bad. It's fine. You can read that and enjoy that too. But, um, but it's, really, it's really, the key is to understand the main point. That's what Mark wanted us to do. 
understand the main point, to land on the main point, and to stick to the main point. And that's what I want us to do as well. If you want to read more, I tell you what, I encourage you to go to the other Gospels. Go to Luke and read about what happened on the road to Emmaus. Incredible story. Go to Matthew and read about what happened when he gave us the Great Commission. Or go to John, who gave us the most detail, and, and uh, when he talked about like when, when Jesus twice walked through closed, locked doors and appeared to his disciples. The second time actually coming to Thomas, who had doubted. And he said, Thomas, come here. If you need, go ahead. Put your fingers in the nail holes. Put your hand in my side if you wish. You know, uh, Incredible story. Or maybe my favorite post-resurrection story is when Jesus met Peter on the, on the seashore. You know, beside a campfire. And he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Giving Peter three opportunities to say yes and three times to remember when he had denied Jesus three times as well so that Jesus could reinstate him and show to him how much he still loved him and was willing to forgive him. Beautiful stuff. You know, the book of John, who John, by the way, wrote the most detail about what happened after uh, the resurrection. He finished his book with this this statement. He said, now there were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know, Mark's amazing gospel does end rather abruptly, but I think that's because he made the main point, and he wanted to emphasize the main point, and, and keep the main point the main point, and that's what I want us to do as well. So I want to ask you, if you would, this morning to stand with us. The band's going to come out and we're going to sing a couple of amazing songs about the resurrection, about what Jesus accomplished. And as we do, if you feel the Lord speaking to you and maybe you want to make a decision, you feel led to, to honor him in some way, I want to encourage you to come down front, meet me down here in front and do that. There have been several the last couple of weeks that have given their life to the Lord and been baptized. If you feel like Maybe God is prompting you in that respect. Why not today? Maybe you just want to stay where you're at and worship. Maybe you need to come down and pray with somebody. There will be others on our prayer or response team up here that would love to pray with you. But would you worship the Lord with all you've got and remember to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is that Jesus is alive. Is anybody excited about that? He is alive. He is here today. So let's worship him, and if you feel him prompting you, why don't you come?